You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming up on today's episode, I go around the NHL with my brother Tyson to talk about the now back-to-back champion Lightning, Montreal's future, as well as more on how the Jets can nail the rapidly approaching offseason. But first, a word from our friends over at DraftKings. It is a massive weekend on tap here. McGregor Poirier 3 is all set for UFC 264. And DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes, offering all customers a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes for this weekend's fight. Fantasy MMA is the way to go, and it's super easy to play. You pick your six fighters, you stay under the salary cap, unlike the Lightning, and you pile up points for a whole bunch of different advances, takedowns, and more. Plus, don't forget basketball and hockey is still available where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs throughout the week. It's the McGregor vs. Poirier rubber match. Get in on the action now. Download the DraftKings app and use promo code THPN for your shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Joined this week by the little brother once again, Tyson Rewicki is stopping by to talk a little NHL, a little Jets, and a little Stanley Cup final game five now that everything's all wrapped up. But first, Tyson, I guess first, how are you doing? Well, not too bad. Happy to be back. It's been a, been a little bit, but it's nice to be back on the show. Yeah, you had some takes. I had to put you in timeout. So uh, the Tyson embargo has been lifted. But you're a huge, huge UFC guy. You're always in on, I mean, every every fight, every UFC uh, big fight night that they've got going on. And, you know, you've thrown down and, and made a fair amount of money as well. So I got to ask you right off the bat, McGregor Poirier, what's going to happen? To be honest, I got McGregor by TKO slash KO in the first round. I think he's, I, th- I really think he's going to adjust. You know, he's going to, he's definitely going to read the calf kicks a lot better. And I think we see... Uh, more of a more of a karate style in Connor's match, like similar to when he was fighting at 145. Uh, 
I think I just think and even in that first fight, he was stinging them quite a bit. Like he hurt him a couple times. You know, it's that's what happens when your leg goes dead. You can't move. So I think I think he handles that a bit better and I think he puts him away early. All right. Well, you heard it there first, McGregor, first round TKO. You know who else went out early? Montreal Canadian in the Stanley Cup final. That's what we call a segue in the biz, Tice. But fine, you know, it's funny. You and me were just cheering for the lightning strictly because we wanted the Stanley Cup playoffs to end so we could get to the offseason and, and just get crazy time going. Uh, but let's talk about, you know, what we saw on the ice before we get to the, the magic that happened off the ice. But it was just pretty evident while Montreal was game and competitive all series long, there was just a pretty big divide in class between the two teams. And let's face it, the best team in the NHL, salary cap hijinks or not, prove that you know they're, they're the top dogs. And maybe outside of Long Island, nobody else is really close to them right now. The Habs, yeah, they had, might have had an early exit, but the Hurricanes and Panthers didn't fare that much better. And those are two pretty good teams on paper. Like, I think the Lightning are just that good. And I think, I don't think there was any team that was going to beat them this year. I think this team was just, it's just stacked. This was their, this is their last dance, if you would, if you will. Kind of go out one more time with the game. And they did. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's, a, I love the comparison. And it was kind of jarring to see, you know, Cooper after the game and, and Stamkos, they just mentioned it so blatantly. Like, yeah, half the team's going to be gone next year because, we don't have a star that's in line for a major surgery that we could stash on LTIR for a couple of months. Just pushing aside all the salary cap stuff. I mean, you know, we went through this too back when Chicago won and, and Patrick Kane missed some time. I mean, I think the NHL needs to fix the loophole. Um, we can get into that a little bit later on. But just putting that aside, I think it is good for the NHL to have by far the best team in the league win the Stanley Cup. It's good to have, you know, like the blues every once in a while, like an underdog kind of come out of nowhere. And, you know, it's it's fun to see a Montreal make a run, Dallas last year. But I just think it's a bad look, though, if every year one of the teams that just squeaks into the dance finds a way, you know, either to go all the way or win the Stanley Cup. Like there's a part of me, too, that's like, you know what? If you do everything right as an organization, you should be rewarded. Like you should know that, hey, if we draft well, if we make smart trades, if we sign our players to great deals, that there is a Stanley Cup at the end of the line waiting for you. And it's so funny, you know, hockey's such a what have you done for me lately sport. I mean, like, not even if you go back before these two cup runs for the Lightning, people were saying, oh, you can't win with this group. You, John Cooper's John Cooper's not a yeah, John Cooper's not a coach that can lead a team to a championship. Stamkos isn't the kind of guy that can lead a team. And then now it's well, this is these this might be one of the best teams we've seen in the past. 15 years well let's get into it I mean that's kind of where we go from here now that they've gone back to back I guess it's them and the Penguins as the only back-to-back cup winners in a, in a long time at least the last 20 years maybe even 30 years going back to the to the Red Wings in the, in the late 90s would have been the other one I mean where, where do they stack up even if you want to keep it semi recently you had the Blackhawks the Kings and the Penguins all win multiple Stanley Cups in the last roughly 10 years. Are they at the top of the list? Or do you have a team that's maybe slightly ahead of them right now? It's pretty tight because those are some, like those, and it's cool too because all those teams I mentioned were built completely differently, right? So I wonder wonder how many people would put Tampa Bay at or near the top of the rankings. 
Yeah, they got they got to be pretty close. It pains me to say, but that 2010 Chicago team that that was pretty stacked. I mean, they didn't have the gold. I mean, Miami got really hot, but uh, who knows how the goaltending holds up in in another playoff run with that group? But man, like you look back at that team, and they're just that you had Hosa Sharp when he was in his prime. Taves and Kane were just busting onto the scene, and then on the back end, you have. Keith, Keith and Seabrook, who were playing, were both playing Norris level hockey, and then not to mention Charmelson and Brian Campbell are your second pair. That's yeah. a that's a first pair on most teams. Like that team was just that team was just crazy stacked. And in my opinion, the Lightning probably beat those Kings teams. Yeah, it's tough. I think I I think that this Tampa team is just the perfect blend of of speed and size and grit and even not many not many of those other teams have a victor headman back there that can just play with anyone and just con- and control the game for 30 minutes at night you know what i think i would put tampa bay as the best team of the last 10 15 years i think you would have to go back probably to the red wings and avs of the late 90s early 2000s and i i, I just think to me maybe the biggest trump card that they have over those other teams is that Andre Vasilevsky is an absolute freak. Yeah. Right? Like, when you have a goalie of that caliber to go along with everything else, right? Like, even as good as Detroit was all those years, goaltending outside of that one season when when Dominic Hasek was there, Tendi, right? Like, that was always a bit of a question mark for Detroit. Pittsburgh, to some extent, and their defense was, it was okay, but it wasn't outstanding. Um, and, and Chicago, like you mentioned, that one team was out just amazing with Bufflin at forward, too. But Auntie Niemi was a sieve in the Stanley Cup final. And the only reason they won was because Michael Layden was a bigger sieve. I can't remember the last time we've seen a team this balanced, right? And maybe the biggest, maybe the biggest compliment you can give them is that there's no holes. Like this this year, what was the weak spot on Tampa Bay? Honestly. They, this was as loaded as you can possibly get as a franchise. It's going to be completely different next season. But when you just look at what they had this year and, and the trade of David Savard, like just everything, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if any of those teams, the Penguins, the Kings, the Blackhawks, as good as they all were, would be able to beat Tampa Bay four times in seven games. I, I just don't see it. And it's going to be a long time, uh, you know, as great as, as Colorado and, and Vegas and some of these up-and-coming teams are. I just don't know if we're ever going to see a team get anywhere close to what Tampa Bay has done here just because it was the perfect storm of, you know what, you had a great team the year before and you were a bit fortunate too that you could do a little cap circumvention and, you know, throw in nine and a half million dollars of extra assets along the way. (laughs) What team, I mean, Matthew Joseph didn't play the whole playoffs and they just tossed him in. He's almost point per game. Like what other team can do that where they just, they just pluck their 16th best forward and say, all right, make an impact for us. And they do. Yeah. Ross Colton, Ross Colton, go step in on the second line and score the cup winning goal. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and most, and you asked 85% of fans last year who Ross Colton is and they have no idea. That just goes to show you how, how good that the scouting department and the player evaluators in Tampa are. And yeah. And I mean, they got foot on the blue line coming in. They've got, you know, bear Boulay, uh, you know, a couple other forward prospects as well that are going to step in and, and play on the cheap. So I, I mean, Tampa's not going anywhere. I know people are going to count them out next year, but Oh man. I mean, outside of Colorado, I don't know if there's going to be a team talent wise that can still match what Tampa Bay is going to throw out there. Um, now that's on the ice off the ice. 
A lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people loved it. But what were your thoughts when you saw Nikita Kucherov, I guess, stumble up to the podium, tarps off, and then unleashing absolute hell on, you know, basically anybody that was outside of Tampa Bay? Oh, it's the it's the best. <laughs> after after hearing, especially after this year, after after hearing uh, fans and media saying how oh it's not fair, it's not fair the Lightning are exploiting loopholes that the NHL has in their rule book, like, and so that must have just felt so nice. I, I was wondering how do you get that drunk that fast? Like that that press conference was what thirty minutes after the game or forty minutes? <laughs> like that that in and of itself is impressive and. He didn't even play Vegas, and he decided to take a shot at Flurry. You know that honestly, that the part about the goalies—it's it, kind of like been forgotten, I guess, because he took a shot at Montreal, and now all the whiny Habs fans are all upset. <laughs> but to say that guy in Vegas, and then he doesn't even know like Hellebuck or the Jets either. He's just like, and then yeah, some other guy won it the year before. <laughs> it was like, do do you not know who Mark Andre Flurry is? <laughs> I, I get you're like, you know, you you've went full heel like. Your macho man Randy Savage, but it was like, dude, yeah, you, you have to know who some of the goalies are in the NHL. Um, so I mean that, that that part of it was maybe the one the only thing that had me miffed. But you know, we've heard people say this. I'm gonna echo the same point, but it just it drives me nuts. This what do we hear all the time about hockey players? Oh, they're so boring, so many cliches. Oh, they don't say anything original. You're never gonna grow the game with these boring personalities. The second someone shows just a shred of interesting, fun, electric, anything that could potentially garner clicks and interest outside of the hockey world, everybody loses their minds. And then it's, oh, well, where's the class? Oh, well, why, why don't you win the right way, right? Like these people, it just, it drives me so crazy that we do this every time somebody shows a little bit of personality. I, I, I just, I love what Nikita Kucherov said. Even if you don't agree with it, to me, you have to love it because it was, if if anything, at the very least, just extremely entertaining. And the fact is, he's the champ, right? Like, he's the champ, and that's what happens. You win the Stanley Cup, you're allowed to talk back. And like you said, you know, all Tampa Bay's heard over the last year and a half has been, well, asterisk on the last cup because it was in the COVID bubble. Asterisk on this cup because you were $200 million over the salary cap and it was a shortened season. So they're kind of like, hey, you want to keep throwing asterisks our way? I'm allowed to clap back at you a little bit and, and throw a little heat right back at you. And I, I I just think it was awesome. I think it was great. And I can't wait for the parade. I, ho- I hope he takes it to another level at the parade. But the parade is going to have is definitely going to be must must watch TV with Maroon and Oh God, Kucherov's gonna have to. He's gonna have to live up. He he has to. He has to. He has to double down on that performance. Uh, You gotta get him a life jacket too, just in case. In case he tips over the boat. I wonder if uh, DraftKings has uh, any odds on how many times the Stanley Cup's gonna be tossed between boats. They do another another boat parade. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take the over, whatever it is. Before we get to the off season and what the Jets are gonna do. You know, I, over the past couple of weeks, looking at the defense, looking at the forwards, mentioned some moves I'd like them to make. You've actually compiled, um, you know, a couple of options for the Jets to, to take a look at and, and how they can improve and get to where Tampa and Montreal were uh, by the time next postseason rolls around. But let's talk about the Habs quick. You know, it was an amazing run. I'm absolutely devastated for Carey Price. He's one of my favorite players in the league. I don't know if it's going to happen 
with Montreal, but I mean, I would still love to see him get a ring by the time his career is over. But like, what do you think about their chances next season? Like the Atlantic division is insanity. Do you think that maybe by the time next playoffs rolls around, we could see Montreal as a legit contender or was this their kind of one real good crack at potentially stealing a Stanley cup? I mean, they made the cup finals. A lot of teams, you go through the list, they haven't made the cup finals in the past 20 years. So likelihood is this was their best chance of winning a cup. You know, Shea Weber and Petrie, they're not getting any younger. Deneau might be gone. They've got a serious, and who knows with Kotkaniemi. You know, he's scratched half the time. He shows glimpses of being of being that kind of guy who could maybe put up 60 points. But that's putting a lot of, you're putting a lot of faith into a guy after you just came off of Stanley Cup finals. And, you know, Nick Suzuki did prove that he is, he he's definitely a game changer for sure. Cole Caulfield, game changer for sure. He just needs some more experience. It's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough for them. And, but Bergevin's going to be active for sure. Yeah. After, after he reels off 10 reps of 450 on the bench, he's going to come out and say, you know what? I do want a number one center next year. It's just, it's tough because Montreal had a lot of things go their way. And you wonder too, like, you know, if Tavares doesn't suffer that horrific injury, does Toronto cruise to a series win? And then we're not even talking about this to begin with, right? Uh, but to their credit, I mean, they they beat Vegas, and, and nobody really gave them a chance in that series. They legit beat Vegas. There was no luck involved in, in beating the Golden Knights. So, so they earned the spot where they're at. I just feel like they do need a high, high-end impact forward. And to me, you know, if I'm Bergevin, if I'm a Habs fan, I want to see them take a run at Jack Eichel. And maybe it costs you a Kakaniemi. They're not moving Suzuki whatsoever. You're right. He's a no doubt about it. Stud number one center moving forward. But maybe a package of, of Kakaniemi and they've got a ton of high-end prospects. You know, maybe that's enough to, to get somebody like that. But I, I just feel like if they want to get back to that spot next season, that's the kind of move they're going to need. I just don't think bringing the same team back and, you know, hoping for another magical run is going to get it done especially when you consider the fact that, what are they, 18th this past season, 19th the year before as far as regular season standings. Like, yeah, they might be better built as a playoff team, but you would just think looking at that law of averages, you know, you're playing with fire just trying to get into the playoffs with the group that you have. So there's a ton of a ton of exciting pieces out there in Montreal. Let's switch gears here quickly before we wrap things up. We're going to finally talk about the Winnipeg Jets and their offseason plans. And things are ramping up quick here, Tice. Like the expansion draft is, what, less than two weeks away at this point? Uh, teams have to submit their expansion protected lists by next Sunday. So like the mat, I, I think that we're going to see some big moves happen Friday, like right out of the gate. And then it's basically going to be a gong show up until free agency starts and a little bit after that. But I asked you to come up with some moves or maybe some ideas that the Jets could do to get back to where they were a couple of seasons ago. I'm very intrigued to see your twisted, deranged young mind, what you were able to come up with here. But when you look at the Winnipeg Jets and and some of the options that are available for them here, who are some names? What are some avenues for the Jets to get back to contender status? Well, we'll start off with the the position that they're going to address for sure. And that's the (laughs) <laughs> I, I would really like to see them get like an either a number one i mean easier said than done obviously but a, or not right-handed number two someone that you could play with morrissey and you know kind of shelter some of those puck moving abilities and maybe another guy to throw on the power play 
I don't know how it would work with them being division rivals, but I see Matt Dumba being a top, being a high priority for the Jets. Have you been listening to the podcast, Tyson? <laughs> maybe, maybe. That's, I, I said I throw Matt Dumba when I did the defensive preview. Um, I, I just think, and, and you know, the division thing, I think it's overblown. We've seen Bill Guerin too, and in Minnesota and, and other teams of the Central specifically make big deals with uh, with other teams in the division. I, I just think as a GM, you should be looking, you know, hey, what is the best return I can get? Who the hell cares what team he's going to? Let's just make sure I make my team better. Uh, and we saw, you know, Minnesota Nashville with the Fiala Granlin trade a few years ago. I mean, the Jets and the Blues with with Stasny. I just think we've seen enough of it that, hey, maybe it is a consideration, but I don't think it's going to be a roadblock to a potential deal. But I just think, you know, Matt Dumba would be a great, great fit beside Josh Morrissey. I think he's basically just a, a slightly smaller Jacob Truba. And I don't know if the cost to acquire him is going to be all that high on top of it because a lot of teams know Minnesota is slated to lose him for nothing. So the Wild don't necessarily have a ton of leverage to extract a lot of value in a potential Matt Dumba trade. But I agree. I think he'd be a great fit beside Josh Morrissey. As a fallback option, he's had a great two bounce back years in Vegas. I think Alex Martinez, you know, he if with for, if forward leaves, you know, he he can plug in right beside Pionk, you know, a more dependable guy. He's He's been there. He's been in every kind of position. He's been, he's he's won cups. You know, he's been he's been key contributors on cup teams. I think he would be nice, and he does have that versatility. I mean, he did kind of struggle a bit in his last couple of years in LA playing on the right side, but he does have that experience, and so I think he could be a potential option. And I think that he he might cost around like the four and a half, four five range, but. You know, at, at this rate, that's what a number three defenseman goes for. And the other, I look up front, and Chevy, we all know Chevy does like to have a veteran fourth line center. And I think oh, my, yeah. the fourth line, you know this. I'm a huge fan of Jansen Harkins. I really, I think that he could be the, I think he could be the Jets version of Barkley Goudreau. You know, just a guy that can interesting play any position. And you know, but ideally, he's that. He's that fourth line guy, but he can move up and down in the lineup, move in, slot, slot him in in any position. You can play him on the PK. I actually like, like Derek Ryan as a name for the Jets on the fourth line. You know, he's not Homer Flame, right? Yeah, he's not. Yeah, Flame Hurricane, but he's not a name. He's not a flashy name. No one's gonna be super excited if they make that move and see that name. But you know, for a fourth line center, he's pretty damn dependable. I can, you know, like compared to Nate Thompson. Nate Thompson did his real well, but, you know, there's some times where... Well, you're just not going to score with Nate Thompson on the ice, right? right? Like, that's the... I mean, it's going to be zeros, which is nice, but you would like a a touch more offense out of your fourth line. And Derek Ryan, I I think maybe he just might have been disappointed in Calgary because of the cap hit that he was getting. Right. They, they, I think, signed him to be their third-line center. But as a fourth-line guy, you know, if you're getting him for a mil maybe just a shade over that, I'd have no issue at all. I, I And I've said this before. I don't have a problem with a veteran fourth line. It's just make sure they're a productive one. Right. Whether they're 34 years old or they're 21 years old, like who gives a shit? <laughs> like I don't care what the age is as, as long as they're actually out there producing and giving you tangible results. And Derek Ryan would be it. I mean, hey, if you want to go veteran and he's the guy, I, I love that. I, I think Jets fans, I think Jets fans, 
despite being maybe a little hesitant about a veteran fourth line, I think you'd have to be happy with that move. And, you know, for the most part, it's a, the Jets, you know, they have their top six set. I think, in my opinion, I would like to have a kind of a guy that can slot into that top six in case injuries ca- occur. I mean, it was nice that Andrew Cobb can move up and contribute fairly, fairly decently, but I would like to, to see them maybe take a flyer on a guy like Alex Galchenyuk or Sam Gagne. You know, just to, just to have another extra gun out there that in case something does go awry, you have guys who can slide in on the power play and they can make plays and finish on certain on setups by Blake Wheeler and, Sh- and Shifley, for example. I think you can, especially with the Jets being in more of a low market team, not the best destination for free agents. I think taking low, taking flyers on guys that have shown in the past that they can score give them a shot and see if they fit in well with this group. And maybe you get a top six contributor for pennies on the dollar. Yeah. I, hey, the Leafs did just that with Galchenyuk, right? right? And he, he was good there. He, he played like, I mean, outside of that horrendous turnover that cost them one of the overtime games, he was pretty good against Montreal. I, I wouldn't mind that. I, I have no problem taking $1 million bets on high end talent like that. And you know, Hey, that's, probably a, a fair criticism of, of Kevin Sheveldayoff is that he doesn't really take any, I don't want to say home run swings even because it's, you know, there, there's not a ton of risk involved, but he's he kind of plays it safe when it comes to free agents, right? Like it's, it's along the molds of like the Nate Thompson's and, and the Trevor Lewis's as opposed to a potential Galchenyuk or a, or a Sam Gagne, like you mentioned there. So I, I'd be cool with that. The one thing, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this you know, Andrew Cobb's a really, really intriguing name because he's an RFA. And if, for example, the Jets do keep him, that means Mason Appleton is up for grabs in the expansion draft. And I've always been of the mindset that if, you know, people talk about Stanley DeMello, this and that, but I think if Appleton's there, I think Seattle takes him because there's not going to be a ton of uh, potential top six options, especially ones that are 25 years old. But would you consider trading Andrew Cobb? And I'm I'm just talking about, you know, let's just, I mean, his contract status is one thing because he's, you know, one year away from UFA. And we know last time around things weren't so rosy between him and Chevrolet up at the, at the negotiation table. But in my opinion, a, a trade of Andrew Kopp, I mean, it, it allows you a chance to maybe recoup some, some draft picks or a prospect, or you can package him in a bigger trade for one of those defensemen that you mentioned. And it allows you to keep Mason Appleton. Like, it's almost, you know, yes, you're losing him, but you're in a way also keeping somebody else that's, you know, pretty important to your team from a salary cap perspective as well, because Appleton is going to make roughly a million dollars. Right. And, you know, we obviously, we're not in the room with Shevel Dalf and Kopp and his agent when they're doing these negotiations, but I'm, I wonder what, what does a contract look like for him that, that he signs? I mean, I'm obviously Kopp's going to want the longer term, the better, because who knows if he'll ever have a season like this again. And on the other hand, the Jets are probably going to want to see if he to see if this is just a one-off and don't want to don't want to give him too much term. So I do I could see some some potential problems there that could lead to him just leaving for nothing down the road. And like you mentioned, you're going to be losing you're going to be losing a guy like that. It's whether it's Copper or Appleton at this point. So why not get pieces that can contribute? Not doesn't have to be this year. Next year or even two years from now, but just so that you're refilling the cabinets, you're not completely going dry and you still have capable replacements that I think 
could probably fill the same spot as Cop. Like I think Appleton could replace Cop's production pretty easily, in my opinion. Yeah, and and if you're going to add salary on the back end, you're going to have to subtract it somewhere. And I mean, as far as goaltending goes, you're going to go on the cheap, whether it's Bressois coming back or Mikhail Burden getting a crack at the back of job, right? Or whoever's there, they're going to be making roughly a million dollars somewhere in that range. So you're going to have to subtract salary from somewhere. And we hear all the time about how talented the Jets forward core is. Well, then you should be able to to lose somebody if you want to try to have more balance. I'm okay if he signs a long-term deal because he is a good player. Like he, he had a tremendous season. It's not that you know you're signing somebody to a contract you don't think they're going to live up to. But I just wonder that if you want to have more a more balanced roster for next season, if he isn't the guy to make a move. The other intriguing part of that to me is that it opens up another spot in your either top six or top nine. But I'm the more I think about it, and the more after watching Cole Caulfield play this past postseason, not that I would pencil him into the starting lineup, but I might want to leave a slot open for one Cole Perfetti and say at training camp, you know what? We got a spot in the top six open, and Perfetti, Veselinen, Harkins, free, whoever it may be, up for grabs. Who wants it? And and just see what see if one of the youngsters is able to grab it, and and if not, you know what you have a contingency plan in place, and I think you can find a winger relatively easy that can you know fit in somewhere in your middle six. Right. But there's a part of me that really just wants to give Cole Perfetti every chance whatsoever to play a really really impactful role with the team next season, and maybe be the Winnipeg Jets version of Cole Caulfield. Right. And going back on me wanting to sign Galchenyuk, in case Perfetti or one of those guys doesn't pan out, there you got your backup option right there. I do think Perf- I, I'm a huge Perfetti fan. I think he's going to be an absolute beast in the NHL. He's just so smart. And even even at the World, Ch- World Championships in the AHL, you could tell that you could tell that he belongs. It's not it's not that it's not that he's not he doesn't think the game quick enough or he doesn't. He doesn't make the right play. It's just it's solely physical at at the moment, and that's it's encouraging for now. <laughs> but and realistically, he's gonna get there. So you know, it's nice to know that the Jets have a pretty I don't want to jinx anything, but like a surefire top six guy that they can kind of depend on. And like you said, Vesselin and two times kind of running out on him. So it's I kind of this year if he doesn't if he doesn't ship out a if he doesn't carve out a role for himself on this team this year I think you got to look to maybe get a change of scenery for him move on for him get some value this past season was was almost that next season is is definitely that that if you don't get anything out of Veselina next year he's just not in your NHL plans moving forward I mean you also have the potential to you know speaking of youngsters a David Gustafson to center that fourth line the guy that's, you know, I think Taylor made for that role. And you're not asking him to do a whole lot there anyways. It's just, hey, give us eight, nine minutes a night and maybe just try to chip in a bit more offensively than we did last year. Because I actually think he's pretty solid defensively already. For like he, for a young guy, he's got that part of his game nailed down. I, that, that's another name that I would look at um, to potentially fill a spot on that fourth line. And then the Paul Stasny dilemma is also hanging in the balance for the Winnipeg Jets. I know they want to bring him back. I know a lot of fans also want to see him back, but it's just 
is is it is it in the cards for him to return for one more season with Winnipeg or does he maybe I think a fit that would work very well both on the ice and and from a storyline perspective does he head back to his original team and you know take a run at the cup with the Colorado Avalanche that that's another aspect where hey the Jets would love to have him back but if he's gone and then if Andrew Cobb's gone all of a sudden there's a couple spots that need to be filled and even with the high end talent like Kevin Shevoldayev is going to have to make some some pretty significant and interesting moves at the forward core for next year. And you mentioned David Gustafson. I don't know if you if you've ever seen him up close on ice level, but man, is he a tank? He might not be tall, but he is thick, and you can tell that he is not, he just will not be hard to get or it'll be hard to get the puck off his stick for sure. That guy is just a beast already. You see him. You see him at the at the rink, right? For those that yeah. don't know, Tyson does some work with the True North um, Youth Academy there, so that's why he spends a little bit of time around. I should actually make you my mole. Like I should, you, you should be my. You should like when people say like my source says like I got I got to get you into some of these meetings now that maybe some of these COVID protocols are being loosened a bit. We got to get some juicy rumors flowing. I did have one question, you know, because just because. Goalies are such a crapshoot, and who knows if Brassois is going to be be back. But who do you think, just like as a random guess, who do you think the Jets' backup is going to be next year? I would lean towards Brassois. I mean, he he seems comfy here. I, you know, I mean, him and Hellebuck are good buddies. I would imagine, like, that's probably the safe bet. I don't know if the Jets would want to lean on Burden just yet. I mean, I sure as hell want to see him in the NHL oh, yeah. for the <laughs> next 10 years, right? Like, He's basically he's going to be like Kucherov with pads in the blue paint. Like he's he's just he's going to be a walking, talking quote machine. But they've always been a little, a little, I, I guess, hesitant to put some of these young goalies in. And I don't know if Burden's completely excelled to the point at the AHL level that you're like, okay, we got to get him some NHL games to further his development here. I think ideally they would like him and Comrie. Uh, to take over the Moose Crease again next season. You bring Bressois back on a one-year deal. And then after that, Mikhail Burden is for sure the backup goalie for the Jets next season. Yeah, well, I was just wondering because I I just have an inkling that they bring back hometown boy James Reimer. Reimer! Optimus oh, Reimer. No, I don't see that. No, I, uh, think, I, I, I think he's going to go somewhere. I mean, the money might not be that much different but i think he just wants playing time and he's not yeah. gonna get any with with hellebuck there i i do think that if we're talking hometown boys coming back and and playing in the peg and speaking of fourth line vets i mean travis zajac played pretty good for the islanders darren helm played pretty good for the red right like i'm just throwing a couple names out there and you would have again veteran guys that can actually still play and contribute offensively but I would be more than happy to see, I mean, one, both of them come here. I th- I think those would be nice additions to the fourth line as well. Plus, you know, the Rewikis and the Helms and the Zajacs go back, you know, a decent amount of time. I, going back to our, our times working out at Focus Fitness, when I, when I was busy puking at the side of the road, they were still running three or four extra miles on top of it. So maybe that explains why they're there and why I'm doing a podcast right now. But that, that I mean, that's about it then, Tice. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like Dumba would be the, I mean, maybe not the preferred acquisition, but something that's in the Winnipeg Jets' reach. And, I mean, another blue liner is going to be necessary here. Uh, you mentioned Martinez, which I think w- that that would be solid. Martinez and Pionk would be a solid pairing. 
I, I put I threw Jamie Alexiak out there uh, just because I know the Jets have interest him in the past. And I imagine they make a very, very serious run at, at trying to get his services once free agency opens. Um, but that's kind of the, the gist of it, right? Grab a, grab a righty and grab a lefty, either free agency or trade. And maybe Dylan DeMello is the casualty that uh, comes out of that. But you would hope that the team would have an improved decor as a result of it. And, and then the forwards are intriguing because there's the potential for a lot of movement there, whether it's youngsters coming up or one or two players moving out. It's going to be a pretty different Jets team next season. And I, I, I guess just Winnipeg hopes D- different is one thing, but let's make sure it's a good different, right? Because change just for the sake of change doesn't get anybody anywhere. It's going to be interesting, that's for sure. And I, you know, maybe by the time this podcast drops, there's going to be some some huge news already that could make us look stupid in no time. Seth Jones to Winnipeg. Breaking news. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> I'd be jacked. Well, Tice, <laughs> let's wrap it up then. Thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. We'll have you okay. back on sometime soon. Thanks for having me. It just flew by. I know. It always goes by fast. Maybe I should have a co-host more often. Maybe that's the, <laughs> the lesson I've learned out of all this. Uh, but again, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. We did have a food interview, I should mention, lined up for today um, with perfect pierogies. Um, but in the food biz, things can change very quickly. And my man, Jamie Aikenhead, just had a whale of a day today and, and and couldn't just set aside some time. Obviously understanding, very busy. But we'll have Jamie and Perfect Pierogies on for next week. That'll be next Friday's episode. When we come back on Tuesday with our next episode, we'll continue our off-season talk. The expansion draft is the first thing that's looming, and we'll get into the debate around DeMello versus Stanley and around Mason Appleton and potentially Andrew Kopp and everything the Winnipeg Jets need to do to make sure Seattle doesn't pluck too much talent out of the offings here in Winnipeg. But until then, we're back on Tuesday. Thanks again for listening, everyone. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Peace!